Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 27. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you the lead into it. And it's probably a terrible illustration, but I just feel like it's fitting. So last night we had at our house we have two dogs. They're about a year old, and we have one of them. His name's Finley, and he's really brave but stupid. Um, and a few weeks ago, he grabbed a snake and and just started. I'm like, the snake's going to kill you. Well, last night, he starts barking, and, and Melissa's like, I think there's a critter out there. It's, it's, it's dark, we can barely see. So I walk out there, and sure enough, there's a possum. It's kind of a small possum, but it's a possum. And he's, he's, he's sizing it up to see what he should do with it. And then I walk out, he feels all of a sudden very brave. And decide, and I have a shovel in my hand, by the way. And, and he decides he's going to grab the possum. So he, he grabs the possum by the neck, starts running around the yard. I'm chasing the dog around the yard with this possum in his mouth with this shovel. And he's certain he can take care of this possum, but I'm certain the possum is going to do some damage to him if he, if he keeps up with it. So he makes it around the yard, he drops it, I, I hit the possum one good time, and he, he's still not dead. Play, you know, he's playing possum, he's acting like he's dead. So the dog still runs around, and finally, um, and we're screaming at him. We have, by the way, we're babysitting two kids, uh, they're watching all of this. And finally, uh, Finley drops the possum, and I, and I just slaughter it, uh, bludgeon it with the <clears throat> shovel. And what does this have to do with Psalm 27, you ask? And that's be a very good question. And here's the thing is that Finley was utterly convinced he could handle this possum by himself. And you know, some of the things we face in life we can handle ourselves. But the truth is, is that I was sitting there with the shovel. I'm a lot bigger. I can handle it. God's a lot greater than we are. And he loves us a lot more than I love my dog for sure. And yet, frequently, when we face the challenges of life, we try to take them in our hands in a way that's just utterly foolish. And God, the whole time, is calling us to come to Him, to lean on Him, to look to Him, to be our light and our salvation. So let's read Psalm 27 from one who's giving testimony, David, who's experienced God as the one who is this chief good. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Even though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of Him in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn your servant, do not turn your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. 
Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of our God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me pray. Well, God, we confess that we frequently face challenges, both personal and corporate, that are way bigger than us. And far too often we try to take those in our own hands or we try to run from them. And yet the whole time you're calling us to run to you, to experience you. I pray that through your word this morning you might engage us with yourself. That you might um, help us to learn to run to you and experience you as our ultimate good. In a way that would color how we respond to real life. God, will you speak to us through your spirit, we pray, all for Christ's sake. Amen. Please be seated. So we've been going through the Psalms, and we've hit 1, 2, and 3, and then last week we hit 13, and we're really seeing how God's, through David and the other psalmists, are calling us to, training us how to, not only Psalms have been meant to sing, how to sing, but how to pray, how to engage with God in a God-centered way, how to live a God-centered life. And through it all, we learn that how we live and what we long for and how we pray are all closely connected to each other, deeply affecting each other. And so today, um, we see uh, David engaging with God, and he's doing so from a place of need. And so um, I'm going to lay out the sermon uh, by saying um, that we're going to look at the problem, and we're going to look at the solution. Pretty simple. And um, when we think about David's problems, we face very similar problems. Um, He was king, we're not, but... Uh, we face some significant challenges just like he did. If you think about it politically, we face just tons of challenges culturally in our, in our world. We face tons of challenges. We have to go back 50 years or so to find a time when our country was more divided. It seems as if everyone's responding to political fear these days. And it's a, it's a terrible environment to be in, really. The people who are leading us seem like they're crazy. And we're just like, I don't know what to do. We'll just have to make, make do. Morally, for the past century, our world has been losing its way morally, especially the West, especially in regard to marriage and sex, and that only seems to be deepening. Uh, we've lost our way morally with regard to race, treating people humanely. Um, and this goes back at least four centuries. And we're still having residual effects of how to try to get that right. And that's just like hitting the surface of the moral problems that we face. Physically, we always have concern, especially for those who are getting old, our parents, our grandparents, maybe ourselves. COVID has created a lot of physical issues for people. And that's not even to mention all the fears associated with COVID. Um, This week, uh, I mentioned in my prayer, but one of our friends who used to be at this church for several years, Seth Biodeau, and he got married while he was in this church, 2011, uh, married Jamie Biodeau, and they've been living in Lake Charles since 2013. They had three 
uh, beautiful young girls, and uh, she started having chest pains, and um, and they thought it was uh, something from her GI tract, and so gave her some medicine. We went to work, and then the girls say, "Hey, mom won't wake up." Um, so they're having to deal with that, and then her mother and dad, who were grieving, get COVID, and they can't even come to the funeral. And it's terrible. And this thing, these sort of things seem to be happening all over the place. Um, we face problems financially. Is there coming recession? We keep hearing fears thrown our way. We know that things are getting more expensive as we go to stores. Relationally, personally, we have all kinds of issues. We got problems. And it's not just for us personally, but, but for those we love as well. Um, especially for... We- those of you who have kids who are getting older and going out into the adult world, um, it's a scary world to, to be sending your kids out into. Uh, Amy Lou Harris sung about this reality several years ago. My baby needs a shepherd. She's lost out on the hill. Too late I tried to call her when the night was cold and still. I tell myself I'll find her, but I know I never will. My baby needs a shepherd. She's lost out on the hill. We live in a really hard time. Our world is really broken. Sin has done a number on it. And it's not just a theological or theoretical problem. It's like a really practical problem that hits us every day and that, that we just live in right now. And so the question is, is we got all these problems. What do you, how do you respond to these problems? And increasingly, we run to things like uh, Netflix or to the Internet um, sports, sometimes shopping, sometimes drinking. We have all video games. Um, and yet all these things don't really satisfy uh, the longings that we have, the sense of need for resolution that's running away. What's your usual response to circumstances that are overwhelming to you? What does our culture tend to say is the answer? I was listening to I was at the gas station pumping up, you know, they had the gas station TV that gives you like a 30-second clip, and they said the real problem to our, our, the real solution to all our problems is to just believe in yourself, to tell yourself that you like yourself. I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't think that's working for people. A few years ago, in 2015, there was a guy named uh, Steve Stossel who wrote an Atlantic article, and he talked about that he had a lot of struggles, and for 30 years he'd been trying to find solutions. He said this basically, for three decades I've been using individual psychotherapy, family therapy, meditation, acupuncture, stoic philosophy, yoga, late night infomercials, medication, lots of it, therazine, Buspar, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Wilbutrin, Lexapro, Valium, Xanax, Natural St. John's Wort. I've drinking a lot of beer, wine, gin, bourbon, vodka, scotch. And here's, here's what's worked. Nothing. This is not a Christian speaking. He's just saying like all the things were thrown out there are coming back empty. And unfortunately, far too often, we in the church are looking the same place 
that the world does. And I'm not saying there's not some resolution. The Bible says that drinking alcohol can, can be a, a, a short-term salve. Okay, medicine can be important. Therapy is important. But they, they just aren't the fix that we tend to want for all the problems that we have. So what's going to be the fix? What's going to be the thing? David's not immune to these sort of challenges. Um, he tells us in verse 2 and 3, I have opponents, evildoers are trying to sell me to eat at my flesh. My adversaries and my foes are. He talks in verse 3 about an army encamping against him or arising against him. We don't know if that was Saul or Absalom or some other country. In verse 10, he talks about abandonment and rejection from parents. In verse 12, he talks about false witnesses rising up to breathe out violence against him. Uh, David's not speaking as one who's like uh, a preacher living in an ivory, ivory tower. He's saying like, I got issues, real problems, just like you do. And yet, all the, in light of all these challenges, David says some crazy things here in this psalm, in particular in verses 2 and 3. He says, when evildoers sell me to eat of my flesh, Adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Even though a war, an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Their war rides against me, yet I will be confident. What in the world? How could David face such fears and challenges and not be consumed with them? How can we remain real about our fears and not be consumed with our fears? Well, if you're wondering, wrestling with that, there's good news. God shows us through David that when we become captured by the war, it puts our fears in proper perspective. It doesn't mean our fears aren't real. It just means that believing in the nearness and goodness of God is stronger and and more real than believing in our fears. And he does that by laying out several things. And and so he tells us that verse 1 is the fundamental truth. And then he gives us four confidences that he has in light of his relationship with the Lord and four requests that we'll look at. He starts out with the fundamental truth. Verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David learned at a very early age, both from the temple and from life, that the Lord was the one who was going to be the source of life for him. My light and my salvation. I have one source of refuge, one sort of source of rescue, and that's the Lord, David would tell us. I have the Lord as a stronghold of my life. In other words, He's the one who's protecting me. He experienced this when he was a young kid, but those challenges only grew. And yet David is telling us the fundamental truth of his experience is that the Lord is good and the Lord is for me. He's my salvation. He's my light, my salvation. And because of that, we can have confidence in light of our fears. Well, what are the confidences that he talks about? Well, the first one seen in verse 2, we've already mentioned it. When evildoers assail me to eat at my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. How did David know this? How did David know that even though evildoers come upon him, even if war arises against him, he's going to be okay. But part of it's that God tells us through his word. He'd read the, the Pentateuch. He'd seen uh, Genesis 14 where uh, God laid Pharaoh's army, the strongest army in the world at the time, 
on their face in the middle of a, a, a thin uh, uh, river, as it were, thin sea. He'd experienced in his own life. He'd had evildoers come upon him. And in the middle of that, he shot, saw the Lord show up and protect him in ways that were beyond his power and control. It was through his experience that he groaned in his confidence in this fundamental truth that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, in light of that, he, he offers a request in verse 4. It's, this is one of my first favorite verses in the whole Bible. God, there's only one thing I really want, and this is what it is, that I can dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of Him in His temple. You see, David not only experienced God as the, the strong and mighty fortress, the stronghold, but he knew the Lord is the one who is the most beautiful one that he just wanted to spend all his life gazing upon. And for that reason, he said, there's only one thing I really, really want. And that's that I can dwell with you to look at you and inquire of you in your temple. You know, it raises a question for us. What's the one thing that we want? What's the one drive that's driving us? And surely, even with David, his desires were mixed at times. He lost track of what the one thing was. But what's your one thing? What's the one thing driving you? Because there usually is one or two things that are kind of like the fundamentals driving us. Uh, for me, it, it, at times, it's been success in wanting to, to like control life. And then life kind of has taken over, and I've realized, man, I just, there's no way I can control life. But for me, with David, I, I will say that like the thing that's become my one thing, and again, it's not, it's not consistent, there's that inconsistency to it, is I've seen the beauty of the Lord. The Lord loving me when I'm the prodigal son and chasing after me. And it makes me want to do one thing, and that's to please the Father, to sit in His presence, to have Him love on me. The... All of us are created with that desire to be loved by our Father, but the Father comes and chases after us. Which leads to the second confidence that David says in verse 5. Part of the reason I want to do this is because the Lord will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. He's experienced God as the one who will protect Him. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David's utterly convinced of this, that that hard things are going to happen to me. But this is the one thing I know, that the Lord's going to watch out for me. And He's going to watch out for me in a way that protects me, but also brings me into communion with Himself and allows me to sing. Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord in a way that makes you want to sing? I'm not saying that's going to be our every moment experience, but like when the Lord gives you goodness, it should make you want to sing. Because the Lord is good and He protects us, as David testifies to with the second confidence. But again, this leads to another request. We see this back and forth going on with David and the Lord. Hear, O Lord, verse 7, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. At some level, David wants God to always be attuned to him. 
And you'll, you will see that at some level, he, there's a part of him that wonders, will God always be attuned to me? Because I do some things that make me uh, unacceptable to him, that make me wonder if he'd really like accept me. So he throws out this request, God, will you be gracious to me and answer me? But it's answered not by David, but by God with an invitation. And this is the one invitation, the whole psalm. You've said to me, seek my face. David says, the very thing that I long for, the very thing that I'm requesting that he would hear me, is the very thing that God's inviting me to. Is the very thing God's inviting you to as well. Seek my face. And David's like, well, I'm going to give the answer. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. Jeremiah tells us that if we seek Him, we will find Him if we seek Him with all our hearts. God is not one to be played with. But if, if you hear His voice saying, seek me, and some of you may be hearing it today, maybe even for the first time, you don't have to like go and, and perform some great act. You don't have to have the beautiful life. You could literally be screw up. So we'll look at David. David screwed up plenty. All you have to do is respond like David did. Your face, O oh Lord, do I seek. God is inviting you. The whole, the whole of life, all the problems that you have, is God calling you, seek my face. Do you have any problems? We just mentioned a ton. Every one of them, God's crying out, seek my face. Throughout the scriptures, He's showing His goodness, and in showing us His goodness, we taste the goodness of God all over the place. He's calling us to seek my face. Don't be a fool who hears the call of God and just says, man, I'll do that someday. Respond. Your face, O oh Lord, do I seek. Which leads to the third request. After God's invited him, David's like, I'm not so sure, God, you're going to be okay with having me seek your face. So he says in verse 9, Do not hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Even though God said, seek my face, David's like, I'm going to seek your face, but man, it feels like it's someday you're going to reject me. Please don't do that. Now this is crazy talk, right? All the goodness of God has been poured out to David over and over again. He's made him king. He's answered him repeatedly in his troubles. He's even said to him again, seek my face. And then David, yet David is like, but I'm not sure you're really going to love me. All of us as kids do that at times, right? Little kids, young ones. Dad, are you going to leave me here? I remember even when our kids were babies, we would take them to a different place and they wouldn't be able to sleep. And I'm pretty convinced it's because, man, you're taking me to a strange place. Are you just going to leave me here? Before they could even talk. All of us have that sense at times. And we have that sense even with God. And yet, the truth is, is He's... He's, he created you that you might know Him. You've made us for yourself, Augustine says, so that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
sent his son Jesus to rescue us, to be the ultimate picture. We'll look at that more. Yet in all this, God's calling us to come to him. He's promising he'll never forsake us. He's the prodigal God who chases after prodigal sons and daughters. Which leads to the third confidence. For my father and mother have forsaken me. David says, we're not sure exactly what context this is, but he has a sense that either through dying themselves or through personal interaction with David, that his mom and dad have forsaken him. But the confidence is that the Lord will take me in. Even if, even if the one who's made, been made most centrally to love you has forsaken you, parents, spouse, the Lord will take you in. He's like Rick Astley, right? I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down. Never going to run around and desert you. Never going to make you cry. Never going to say goodbye. Never going to tell a lie and hurt you. I can guarantee you Rick Astley's done that with all of you who've used the internet. You've been Rickrolled. If you really knew Rick Astley, I'm sure he was not this guy. All of us are unfaithful. All of us forsake each other. Even as a loving dad, I hurt my daughters in ways that I never intend, but frequently do. And yet the Lord will take my children in. He's never going to forsake us. Which leads to the fourth request. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. False witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. We see two things here. He, he, one, he's like, I'm so in love with you. I just want to please you. Will you teach me your ways? Not as a way so I can gain favor with you, but so that way I can respond to you with pleasure. So you can have pleasure because you are my pleasure. And two, I have some circumstances, God, that are crowding me, okay, that are they're threatening me, that, that I almost can't get my eyes off of. Will you, will you take care of those circumstances? Will you assure me that you're going to be with me and help me in the middle of the crises? Which finally leads to the, the fourth confidence, come ultimate confidence. I believe that I'll look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David's convinced that, that the goodness of God is so great that He's not just going to give us goodness when we go to glory, although that'll happen in ways that, that transcend anything we experience here on earth. But even on this earth, God's going to chase after to show us His good. There are hard things that happen. My friend Seth, man, I, I'm just grieving over what he's sitting through. But I know that in the middle of all that, even, God's going to chase after him to show him good. And so David says to himself, says to us, says for us to remind ourselves, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He wants us to remember that the goodness of God is worth waiting on. And therefore, we should have that confidence that God is good. He's going to chase after us. That sometimes when crisis happens, we have to patiently wait on Him. We have to seek Him. But He's not going to leave us hanging in the end. Now, as we kind of move on to application, there seems to be a lingering question, though, for, for David. 
And it's not about God's power or His past faithfulness. It's about whether or not God's going to accept Him. Wondering if He's done something so bad that will finally alienate the Lord and get Him to turn His face away from David. How do you know, how do we know, that we're not going to so screwed up so badly that the Lord will turn His face away from us? And David gives us guidance in that. I think the scriptures give us even further guidance. In our culture, says, look within. Just love yourself. And when I, just to be frank, I've tried that. And when I look within, there are terrible things in our It's horrible. I mean, outside, I'm a, I'm a decent guy it's, it's, at some level. When I was 18, I wasn't so decent. Um... But like internally, I know I'm really, really screwed up. I know there's plenty of reason for God to reject me because of how I think and not to mention the things I say and do. And yet our culture's telling you, hey, just be like Stuart Smalley. The reason God should like you is because you're good enough and smart enough. And by golly, people like you. Why was that such a huge SNL skit? Because it's so ridiculous. And yet we've kind of doubled down and tripled down on that since that time of Mike Myers doing that in the late 80s, early 90s. On the flip side, some of you become so captured by your fears that you can hardly see anything else. Because though you come to know the Lord through Jesus, you practically have made a lot of things, other things, the focus have largely forgotten the Lord. You've become like those in Colossians. Sure, I need God, but what I really need is this. And yet this never really gives you fulfillment. It leaves you empty and hanging. Some of you become so captured by your fears because you've never come to know the Lord, and it's just you or your money or the government that's your functional hope. And so you're left without a shepherd. All these problems, and you're like... I know surely there's got to be a politician that's going to rise up and make us right, right? And every four years, every eight years or whatever, that, that happens. And like the last time it was like, uh, please, these two guys, they're, they're not going to save us, either one of them. And yet, people on the right were convinced that their guy was, and the people on the left, and, and the people on the left got their guy, and look what we got. Terrible. It's horrible. But it's, it's, it's a foolish hope. Some of you may feel like I've done too much wrong to ever be accepted by the Lord. And man, I, I get that. But I would remind you, he's writing the psalm, right? It's David. He failed as multiple, in multiple ways. As the king, he took another man's wife. He didn't kill the man. His wife he sexually assaulted. He utterly failed as a dad. In many ways, his failures led to the downfall of Israel altogether. Like if anybody should be rejected, it's really David, just to be frank. And yet the Lord accepted him as his own, all because of his love for him. I don't know everything you've done, but here's what I do know about you. You deserve to be rejected by God. So do I. I'm pretty sure that... uh, some of you may have like stolen another man's wife. I don't know any of you who've actually killed another person. Maybe you're that bad. But here's what I do know is that even if you are, David it was, 
Nonetheless, God is inviting you in. He's saying to you, seek my face. We live in a world where the news gets us hooked by selling the fears of the world, but the word of God gets us hooked by discounting the fears of the world in light of the fear of God, in light of the greatness and goodness of God. And David, in all of his study of scriptures at that point, the Old Testament, uh, Pentateuch mainly, in his life, he can come to this utter persuasion, God is good and he loves me. And therefore, I can have these confidences and I can come to him with these bold requests and he's going to invo- send this invitation to seek my face. But we have something greater than David had, don't we? It's a lot greater, right? I mean, David experienced God in some pretty tremendous ways. He was made king. But we've experienced Jesus. Jesus came and kind of out of the blue began to live a really beautiful and amazing life. He showed through his life that he loved people in a way that was really uncomfortable that made the religious leaders say, hey, you're you're going a little bit too far. And then he started doing miracles and healing people and even raising the dead, showing the beauty of God. And then he would invite people like Zacchaeus and prostitutes to himself and say things like, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Those who are really screwed up, I've come to seek them. And they call them to seek me. And yet at the end of his life, what happened to Jesus? You know, most of you do, at least. The religious leaders got so angry with him that they decided that they wanted him killed. They took him to the political leaders. They said, we don't want to ride on our hands, so I guess we'll go along with it. Yet behind it all, the scriptures tell us that God was, the Father was behind it all. And on the cross, Jesus was hanging there and he said things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus lost the face of God for a moment. But why did he lose the face of God for a moment? Because he was bearing our sins in his body on the tree. Also, he might bring us to God, have been put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus lost the face of God for a moment in order that God would never turn his face from us. The Father seemingly forsook Jesus at his death, but that wasn't the end of Jesus' story. What happens at the end of Jesus' story? You know, there's a real sense in which Jesus may have been wondering, and and I'm not saying he was, but it, it seems like at some level. Am I going to lose the face of God? God, are you really... You're not going to abandon me, are you? Not now. We've had eternity to be living with each other. I know I'm bearing the sins of all the men, but like, you're not going to forsake me. And then what did God do? You know what He did. Philippians 2. God raised Jesus from the dead. And He, and he, gave, and he seated Him in His right hand. He gave Him the name that... In which every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And here's what it tells us about us in that story. That everybody who hides in Jesus is going to get that same reward. Not the the bowing of the knee, okay? But the resurrection and the glory and seeing the face of God in a way you'll never be able to lose it. And that's what he's inviting you into today.
And it's so powerful that there's no way that if you experience the face of God, He's ever going to let you lose it. Romans 8, 35-39 Who shall separate us from love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's, it may be bad for you, but it's not that bad yet. Right? You haven't, none of us have been killed. Now in all these things, even when these things happen, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor anything, in, nor height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once you really come to see Jesus and rest in Him, even when you go through hard stuff in life, and there's plenty of hard stuff you're going to experience, He's never going to let you go. And one day He's going to bring you into His face. So what's He calling us to do in light of that right now? He's calling us to live in dependence, to seek His face, to realize that our only real hope in all trials is that the Lord will take us in. That it affects our desire that the things we desire often are of this world, right? Like, I want security. I want ease. I want no complications in life. And yet that's foolishness. It's a fool's chase. The thing that we've been made for is God Himself. And if you long for that, if you desire that, guess what? You're going to get it. And when trials come, it actually heightens your experience of it. Even those trials are God saying, seek my face, as we said. And it should affect our duty. We have only one duty when we wake up in the morning when we go to bed, really. It's found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, God says something really strange to Jeremiah. He says, I have really only one or two things against my people. What's that? God tells us. It's not a secret says, the first thing is that they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And the second thing is they've dug out empty cisterns for themselves that can hold no water. I've been made to be life for you, and you're you're running away from me, you're you're avoiding me for whatever reason, I have no idea, but it's breaking my heart. But more than that, you're you're trying to dig out other cisterns to hold water and find life, and it's all empty. Come to me. Look, I'm, I'm... like David, I'm not speaking as one who has it all figured out. Leading the school through COVID, has, I've been easily distracted by fears and relying on my own devices to seek to survive frequently. I failed in more ways than I can even enumerate. And there's frequently a sense in which, are you going to reject me, God? But God wants more than survival for us. He wants us to thrive and my thriving to the degree that I have thrived has come in realizing, oh God, I am a wee kid, and yet you love me. And I'm going to show up every day, and I'm going to fail, and yet you're going to love me. And I, and I hear what you're saying, God, seek my face. And honestly, the joy that I've experienced, the, the security I've experienced, has only come from those moments when I've sought his face. Will you seek his face with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for people like David who really screw things up and yet whom you've loved and who can give testimony to that. But I thank you even more for Jesus. 
The one who came, was sent by you to love us and to live for us. Who on the cross bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might be reconciled to you. And also that you might call us anew to seek your face. Father, I pray that there are people in here who don't know you, who've never come to know you, that you would really give them a sense that you're a God who chases after people who don't have it all together, who really have screwed it up, that they might experience your love and your fatherhood and your unending, never forsaking love. But God, I pray for us who come to know you that often lose our way as well, that you would remind us of your goodness and help us to pursue you in light of your pursuit of us. Lord, you say to us, seek your face. We say to you, your face, O Lord, do we seek. Help us to find it for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen.